Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. On Commons People this week... Yes, a little tear. The Maybot shows emotion. There is no plan for no deal because we are going to get a great deal. Is that really the government line, Boris? I didn't come out and criticise her and jump on the bandwagon. Ah, peace and love in the Labour Party. All of this and more on Commons People. Hello and welcome to Commons People, the HuffPost politics podcast with me, Owen Bennett. And this week I am joined by Ned Simons, Paul War. And Kate Forrester. Hello, how are you all? Hello. No fine. time for that. Too busy. Got oh. too much of a big oh. show. Sorry, guys. Got to crack on. We've got so much to talk about this week. Let's kick off with uh, Brexit. Theresa May is facing the threat of parliamentary defeat over Brexit after Labour vowed to stop her from railroading a new EU repeal bill through the Commons. There is a prospect of a major constitutional showdown looming as it emerged the flagship European Union withdrawal bill will give ministers sweeping powers over the shape of the UK's exit. There'll be a new raft of so-called Home of the Eighth powers, which will be given to Theresa May and David Davis, allowing them to avoid parliamentary scrutiny of up to a thousand different regulations. Here's Brexit Minister Steve Baker on opposition threats to meddle with the bill. But remember, if somebody wrecks this bill, then they'll leave the UK statute book in an unworkable condition, and they will have to explain to their electors why they've chosen to do that. Paul, you have been locked in a room today, haven't you? Not yeah. by us. Yeah, not this bad. room. Not this room. You've been locked in a room looking at, looking at this, this bit of legislation. Yeah, it's very detailed, very technical. We were fortunate to have some very fine experts guiding us through it. Um, but the, the fundamentals don't change for the public out there who voted either leave or remain. Um, uh, the fundamental is that this bill will try and repeal the 1972 Bill Act, which made sure that Britain entered the European Union a long, long time ago. What it tries to do is not just repeal stuff, but also make sure that all the EU laws that currently exist are transferred into into British law. And it has this weird thing called Henry VIII powers. Now, we all know about these in Parliament because they are used by ministers now and again. But what's new about this is that it's going to be used in an unprecedented way. There's going to be a thousand regulations that the government has to sort of transpose into British law and simply isn't enough time in Parliament to do all that. So what the government are doing is trying to shortcut some of it and they're going to say, right, well, we don't necessarily need it to be fully voted on by the House of Lords or the Commons, so we'll just this, use this regal thing, this Henry VIII power, which means that you don't have to consult them properly. That's going to cause Henry VIII power? Because though? in 1830, uh, sorry, 1532, uh, Henry VIII um, had this royal proclamation where basically he, he uh, bypassed Parliament completely. He said, right, I want to do this, I'm going to do it. And ever since then, various governments have used that power. Now, what's really interesting about this is that the Lords have already said, look, we hate these powers anyway. We don't like them being used. They're excessively used already. Uh, we want to be allowing proper, proper scrutiny. 
And the really significant thing overnight is that Labour has dug a line in the stand in the sand for the first time. Instead of previously, you know, Corbyn's always been told, oh, well, you're just going along with Brexit. All the Remainers, like Chucko, will come on to are saying, look, you're just rolling over and your tummy tickled. Labour are finally doing something ballsy. They're saying, look, we're going to vote against this at second reading unless the government re curbs all these powers and does various other things like workers' rights, like um, restore the Charter for Fundamental Rights for people's human rights. So we've got a real battle looming. I have to say, it does depend on whether or not those Tory Remainers, a handful of them, vote with Labour, but that's to be seen. But if Labour were in power, I mean, is this just them, is this a bit of opportunism from Labour? Yeah. That's what that's, I think that's exactly it, it reminds me so much of Maastricht when obviously John Smith was completely opportunistic. You know, Labour was very, very pro uh, pro European party at the time. But they sided with, you know, Maastricht rebels to try and make life very difficult for John Major. And that's ultimately don't forget, we've got the backdrop of coming out of a snap general election that L Labour actually did w reasonably well in, didn't win, but did well in. And the game here is effectively forcing this bill into a sort of vote of confidence on the government to bring it down. Now, that's the, 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 the challenge for Labour is how do you do that and at the same time keep people like Nicky Morgan on board and, and who won't want to pull the government down? So we're going to have to see Labour really reaching across the aisle, I guess, to try and get the Tory Remainers, is that what we're going to yep. be seeing? So we keep an eye in the tea rooms and the bars for Absolutely, for John that's McDonald why Keir Starmer is going to be... Well, it won't be John McDonald, it'll be much more it'll be Keir Starmer <laughs> who does the sort of softly, softly. <laughs> and, and, you know, the, the fact is, as we said before, the, where power really lies in Parliament often is not in votes, it's in the deals that are done before a vote. In other words, to avoid a defeat, you then do a concession, you do a deal, a backroom deal almost, and you say, right, this handful of rebels will go to the government and push it and push it and push it and say, look, we, we are really tempted to vote with Labour on this. I suspect, personally, it will go past uh, on second reading because I think not enough Tory rebels will, will abstain. The interesting and there's stuff some Labour people, who, there's some Eurosceptics in Labour, I guess. Who yeah, there are. There are Labour Leave. Uh, there's quite yeah. a, a solid chunk of them, about a handful of them, like 15, 20. But I suspect what will happen is that the real stuff will come at committee stage uh, where that's where most amendments will be piled into this bill from Eurosceptics and Europhiles alike. So, but earlier in the week, this wasn't just today that the Thursday that the kind of Brexit thing kicked off because Boris Johnson had an absolute mad one, and here's him. In, here's him <laughs> in the Commons, um, and he was. <laughs> and we played a clip at the top of the show of him talking about that there not being any preparedness for No Deal, and here is he talking about giving the EU, or rather not giving the EU, some money. Uh, the sums that I have seen that they propose to uh, demand from this country seem to me to be extortionate, and I think to go whistle is, is an entirely appropriate expression. And then his uh, Brexit Secretary, David Davis's reaction in front of a Lords Committee when asked about it. You'll have to get the Foreign Secretary here to explain his views if you really want him to. I'm not going to comment on other, other ministers. David Davis there saying you need to ask the Foreign Secretary to explain himself. We've got the next best thing, Ned Simons. Um, Great. Okay. I don't know why that works. But um, what's Boris playing at? Is he just yeah. is he just is he just trying to put himself centre of attention? Is he just trying to show off? Should we be ignoring uh, yeah. him like so the child he is? I think it was a case of him not realising that when he says things, they mean things. Essentially, yeah. I think he was kind of having a bit of a joke in Parliament. So the two things he said that got next got then got slapped down. The one was on uh, we haven't planned for no deal. That was in a bit of kind of an uh, argument with Emily Thornberry over the dispatch box. And the one about um, spending no more money on EU on the EU as we leave was in answer to a to Philip Hollibone at Tory backbencher, uh, sort of agreeing with what Hollibone said. I think he just didn't really realise when he says stuff, people are listening. 
and it he matters. Is the foreign, does he know yeah. he's the foreign secretary? Well, <laughs> I think he does when he's kind of doing foreign secretary things outside of the house. But when he's abroad? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And he's like, I'm I, in a foreign country. Yeah. Oh, may, I must be yeah. foreign secretary. And I think when he's right. in the Commons doing that kind of jokey Commons things, he's, it, seems, it just seems he just forgot that it does matter what but he says. But maybe, just maybe, he's a bit like Donald Trump. In, in which case, you know, it's w- worth thinking. <laughs> Actually, what Donald Trump does blurt out often he does mean. So maybe Boris really did mean it. In, in sure. other words, he... But he can't mean that they're not preparing for no deal because we know they have been preparing for no deal, don't we, Kate? But his, his, his whole yeah. rhetoric was about, you know, he didn't mean we're not preparing for it. He meant we don't need it. No, but no, but he but, said, yeah. he yeah. said there's, there's no, no plan, plan yeah. yeah, Yeah, and I mean, these these nuances are not really, uh, they're not really flying, are they, with, uh, with Barnier and... No, what did he make of it then? Because he was pretty, um, uh, well, pretty strong in his reaction, wasn't he? He was. The clock is ticking, he said. Can't hear any whistling, just the clock ticking. Um, bit, bit of a, a bit of a threat. But I like of. that. That's quite a threat. Yeah, it's ballsy. It? Yeah. It's yeah. ballsy. And, and Barnier then, in that press conference he gave, he went out his way to say, you know, this this so-called Brexit bill, it's not a bill, it's just the UK settling the money it's already agreed to pay. Mm. So kind of kicking back at this idea that a lot of Brexiteers say, oh, we're not giving you any more money, we're leaving, that's the point. And he's saying, it's not, you're not paying us extra money to leave. We're not charging you to leave the EU. It's just money you already said you'd pay. So is it like saying, you might be leaving halfway through the meal, but you still ordered the dessert? Yes. Does that work? Yeah, that does work. It's it good, that. It yeah, does. Yeah, yeah. It feels like, it <laughs> almost feels... <laughs> I like that. It almost feels like the Tories are kind of not taking it very seriously and the EU is taking it extremely seriously at the moment. I mean, in PMQs yesterday, you know, there was there was a lot of kind of to and fro in about what David Davis has said, what Boris Johnson said, and everybody's kind of, oh, isn't it, isn't it all a mess? Isn't it all a big mess? Well, d- sort of, yeah. yeah. I, I think the and contrast that... between PMQs and Barnier's mm-hmm. um, press conference was very stark. It happened one after another. It was quite clear the difference in tone between how the EU's observing things and what's going on. Should we, have a, yeah. should we listen to Emily Thornberry in PMQs? Because she stood in for Theresa May, who was m- absolutely miles away, uh, just down the corridor, actually, with the King of Spain, not doing very much. Um which was very busy but she she Emily Thornbury so Damien Green stood in for Theresa May which meant that Jeremy Corbyn wasn't there and Emily Thornbury uh, had a sort of a I thought quite a mixed bag so we really liked her but here's a little bit of her rallying against the talk they've got contingency plans but they won't let the public see them we've got a chancellor demanding transitional arrangements which a no deal option makes impossible we've got a foreign secretary making it up as he's going along we've got a Brexit secretary so used to overruling his colleagues that he started overruling himself and we've got a prime minister who's so bereft of ideas that she started putting suggestion boxes around parliament before we come on to um uh, chuka moon talking about emily thornbury let's talk about the pmqs there did we think i thought emily thornbury was too busy laughing at a previous joke she kept messing up the next messing up the next one he says messing up himself but i think right having just said that having just said that it was all a bit too silly compared to Barnier's uh, press conference, I thought it was one of the more fun PMQs for a long time. And I thought Thornbury was really good. She was I think good. she was engaging. She was kind of very relaxed. She wasn't, her jokes were, while scripted, were a bit more free-flowing. When she did mess up one of them, she was quite capable to kind of laugh at herself and get through it. So in a PMQs of, is it a fun spectacle? I thought she did really well. It was quite... Mm. Quite and we got a story out of it, didn't we, Paul? We got a story out of it by sort of by mistake, really, thanks to Damien Green. <laughs> That's your usual mm. way. Yeah, I yeah. mean that that was quite 
it's strange for Damon Green. He's a safe pair of hands, really. But he, again, I think it showed that Emily Thornberry pressed the right buttons. And that's what PMQs is about. It's about forcing your opponent into making a mistake. He made a mistake. She said, look, well, is there no deal? And have you costed it? And he blurted out, well, wait for the OBR tomorrow, the Office of Public Budget Responsibility. We did wait until tomorrow. We didn't have to because the OBR told us straight away, actually, um, he's misleading people. Uh, we're not going to have a, a Brexit costing in this thing. We're not going to um, we're not going to get them out of jail. Put it that way. But the interesting thing about um, Thornby versus uh, Green was, I think Ned's right. It was one of the more entertaining PMQs in ages, both because both parties have a sort of light touch. Now, n say what you like about Jeremy Corbyn; it's not really light. It, it, it's a kind of avuncular cardigan charisma he's got, but it, it, it's not sort of deft. Whereas. Thornbury is a former QC, obviously. Damien Green, very smart guy. They can both sort of play with the nuances a much more than May and, and, and Corbyn can. And May can never deliver a gag, whereas Damien Green actually had a lovely gag about the Lib Dems. You I know. was just going to say that. Yeah, right. I, I like that one. It was yeah. really and th We heard in the, the clip money. there about the suggestion boxes round Parliament, which I thought was a wonderful I thought it was a wonderful line for Henry Thornbury. Yeah. Really, they both seem to have a sort of twinkle in their eyes they were doing it. Yeah, I, I think they, they, yeah, they both, and I quite enjoyed watching David Davis laughing at Thornbury's jokes. Just sort of, yeah, you know, that he, was he, good. Even he had to admit that it was quite funny. I could see from where I was sitting overlooking that uh, there was quite a few Tories really struggling to keep the smiles off their face yeah. as, uh, as Emily Thornbury was going along. So is Emily Thornbury lining herself up as the next leader then? Um... I don't think it's a million miles from, you know, possibility. Um, I mean, she is, to be fair, you know, when she stands in, in things like that, she I think she is good. Um, she's smart and she's quick and she seems to be enjoying it, crucially. I think in politics at the minute, there seems to be a distinct lack of people who seem to be enjoying any aspect of it. So I think that's quite appealing. Yeah, I think that's kind of the key thing about her, particularly over the election campaign, was she just always seemed to be kind of having fun not to mean she didn't take it seriously mm. not that she doesn't take the issue seriously but it may be because the kind of her comeback from that the fall she had as shadow solicitor said whatever it was when she had that flag moment yeah she might be a bit like this comeback's unbelievable i'm just gonna have a good laugh whilst doing it and also it. don't forget she was one of the people very early on who threw everything mm. in her whole lot in the jeremy corbyn she made a big gamble there but a lot of people thought at the time and it's paid off because you know, there's no question that she's one of the sort of more articulate people in the shadow cabinet. Uh, she, a lot of people in the PLP thought that she'd gone a bit nuts going so pro-Corbyn. But actually, she's had the last laugh because it's true. A lot of Corbynistas, a lot of um, people in the in rank and file really like Jeremy, um, uh, uh, Emily Thornby precisely because of this. She's good at attacking the Tories. And it's, you know, that's what opposition is about. And it's and she can land blows, just as she showed this week. And they like people who do that. And more than anything else, I think the PLP ultimately have come around to that recognition that if you can land blows on the Tories, whether it's Andrew Gwynn, whether it's Emily Thornby, whether it's Jeremy Corbyn himself, that's what it's about. You're still in, at PMQs, um, which leads us on to this week's quiz. Ooh. PM who? Ooh. <laughs> oh, I know what I this is going to be. Who? I don't so know what this is going to be. I don't like it. Emily Thornbury at the beginning of PMQs said there's oh, a theme. Okay. Okay. Yeah, oh, you okay. were determined for this. Was, gonna, yeah. was 16. Was it 16? 16. 16 including Damien Green. Since, so since, since Damien Green's been elected in 1997, yeah. 16 Tories have stood at the dispatch okay. box in PMQs. Can you name them? Yes. We're going to go around and you each going to have to give me a name of someone, okay? Okay. All right, Kate, look, I'll come to you because Kate looks terrified. <laughs> um, do I go first? terrified by anything. Pardon? Hung over again? You no. Right you're right today, yeah? Yeah, Good. unbelievable. Uh, 
Ned, name me a Tory from 1997. David Liddington. Yes. Paul? Uh, Michael Howard. Yeah. I was going to say David Liddington. Paul? Now I'm under pressure. Just think of some Tory leaders or um, deputies. IDS. Yeah. Ned? Uh, Osborne. Yes. Very good. He was, yeah, he stood in, didn't he? Um, uh, William Hague, obviously. Yeah. Easy. Uh, both as leader and deputy. And yeah. First Secretary of State. Twice, yeah. Yeah. Oh God, I'm struggling. I mean, there's at least three massively obvious ones. I know. One sort of D, <laughs> C, begins with D. Oh yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, David Cameron. Yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, I've run out now. There you yeah. are. Um, this is where it gets tricky now. No, it doesn't. Mm. No, I know it doesn't, but it does. Oh no, hang on. I thought we were just doing standings. No, no. Oh, this so is that's oh. this is all sixteen. Yeah. Okay. Tories. Oh, Theresa May. Yes. <laughs> Now, now, we're, now we're getting into the weeds a little bit. Go on, Paul. Oh, other deputies. So who was first? Um, we've done William Hague. We've done Osborne stood in. Please feel free. I to reckon some it. former leader of the House did it. So oh, um, we've done go. Liddington, haven't we? Yeah. So um, oh, no, not Ed Balls. <laughs> Very funny. Um, how many have we got out of the 16? Uh, you got to go. One, two, three, four, five, six, eight to go. Oh, that's a lot. There's a lot to go. How about... Okay, just, just, just shout did, out. Did Michael Portillo ever do it? No. Ken Clark? No. Did, did Ankrum? Yes. Oh, very good. Very Ned, good. Michael Ankrum. Right, come on. Here we go. That's good. There's one, there's uh, one, there's one huge... Is that one really obvious mentioned. one? If you think about it. Since 1997... Who would have been the first person to face Tony Blair in 1997? John Major. John Major. Very yeah. good shout. So there's, there are two women you haven't named. Oh, are there? Yeah. Um, they must have been shadow leaders. Come on then. Of the House. Who's like, and there's one current cabinet minister you mentioned as well. A current cabinet minister? Yeah. Is this good podcasting? Just oh, I don't know. Thinking? Um, Let's think. I hope you listen. Let us know. <laughs> Tweet us. Tweet James. James. Are you still there, James? Tweet um, and also, while they're thinking, you guys think, listener, come in, listener, let me talk to you. Go onto iTunes and rate us and write a nice comment because apparently we don't do that enough. And we've got millions of listeners, but if you just go on now, while these guys are thinking, go on, give it a little five, give it a cheeky little five star and uh, email and, tw- you know, hashtag comments people, tweet when you're listening. Tweet when you're listening now about a name well, these guys, if you can see these guys now staring into I've space I've got go one. on, go, oh, on, go, on. Go. go on we haven't said Damien Green yeah, Damien Green is a given right Does he not count? So, no it doesn't oh. count anyway, really so go back right, I'm going to pick Amy's Misery now ready the current cabinet minister Chris Grayling oh, oh. he was leader of the house God. probably yeah Peter Lilly oh Gillian <laughs> <laughs> Shepherd. wow George Young George oh Young. yeah, he yeah, was yeah. leader. He was yeah. leader. I remember that. Angela Browning and Eric Forth. God, oh, definitely wouldn't have got that. There we are. That's see? real trivia. So wow. there we are. How do you like that quiz, guys? That was yeah. a good quiz. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Too much better than last week. So last week you had the worst ever. This week is actually one of the best. It's not bad. I'm like a bonuses in the post. I'm like an erratic footballer. Erratic, right? So I hope you enjoyed that. Anyway. <laughs> so, back to Emily Thornbury. Someone who's not a fan of Emily Thornbury is Mr. Chukamuna. I went down to Stretton this week to have a little chat with him. 
about his new APPG that he's launched, which is basically trying to stop the hard Brexit. Uh, we're going to put the full interview up as a separate podcast, and it, it's quite interesting because he has this view that you should listen to Michelle Barnier when Michelle Barnier says you can't be, you can't have all the same benefits in the single market if you're not a member. He says you should listen to Michelle Barnier on that. But when I put t- to him, if you stay in the single market, you've got to keep freedom of movement, which is what Angela Merkel says. He said, oh, no, 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 you can reform it. So on one hand, he thinks you've got to listen to what the people in the EU say, because that's like sacrosanct, the other is not. Anyway, this was him talking about um, Emily Thornberry, who said that he was virtually signalling for his Brexit amendment. For me, that's disappointing. Uh, when Emily uh, posted a picture of an England flag um, when she was a shadow attorney general on Twitter, and there was an avalanche of comment about what she was signalling by doing so. I didn't come out and criticise her and jump on the bandwagon. I actually dropped her a line to check that she and her family were okay, given the barrage of comment and uh, uh, criticism she was attracting at that point. And I suppose I'm disappointed because, frankly, when you do things that you believe are right uh, on a principled basis, you at least, I think, can expect to have the benefit of the doubt of some of your colleagues. But actually, it's also quite disrespectful of all those people who voted to keep us in the single market and also the customs union. And, you know, a lot of people did this because they had a very strong constituency interest. Um, You know, personally, I represent Streatham, which scored the highest Remain vote in the referendum in the country. Uh, I went around this community during the general election saying I would fight to keep us in the single market and the customs union if I was re-elected. And I, like many other colleagues, were faced with a situation where the Liberal Democrats had put down a Liberal Democrat amendment to keep us in the single market and the customs union, and there was no Labour amendment doing the same. So, Chukamuna there is, um, he's certainly happy to keep the kind of running battles going, isn't he, Labour over Brexit. And do you feel like, because Labour have been quite ambiguous on Brexit, do you feel like they're going to start having to sort of come down one way or the other now? With this I think Brexit? that's what we're seeing over this repeal bill that Labour are coming off the fence. They're saying, look, unless you actually meet what we want, we want a proper workers' rights, we want you know, human rights, we want proper parliamentary scrutiny, unless you meet all those demands, we're going to vote against you. And that is them coming off the fence. Now, the question is just how well-crafted each of those demands are, and that's where the real nitty-gritty goes on. I'm not convinced myself that... I mean, the Lords will certainly kick up a fuss over you know, scrutiny, but will enough people like Nicky Morgans and, and Dominic Greaves be so upset about the Charter of Fundamental Rights that they'll vote with Labour against the bill? I don't know. But you're right. I mean, Chuck is in the right territory uh, in that a large, large number of Labour Party members, not voters, but members, are really, really keen on a very soft Brexit. I mean, that's the, that's the fact to keep remembering all It's quite this. funny, isn't it? Because, I mean, we tweeted this story out today and we've got the usual b- abuse about Chukamina being a Blair, right, that kind of stuff. But actually, he seems to be, you could argue, representing the Corbynite supporters' position of being pro-European mm. better than Jeremy Corbyn. So is it the case that Chukamina is saying all the right things but he's the wrong person to say it? Uh, but is it, or is it the case that he's the only person willing to say it? I mean, what do, what do we think about this? Is Chukamina the right person to be leading this kind of charge? I mean, the right, if you're a Remainer, the right person to be leading the charge would be Jeremy Corbyn. Yeah. But of course, he's not doing that. No. So I suppose someone has to do it, or if they have to, perhaps it's probably going to be Chukka, isn't it? Because he's decided that's going to be his thing. Now, not having a place in Shadow Cabinet, he's thought, okay, I'll become Mr. Remainer. So he I can push things a bit more because he's yeah. not in Shadow Cabinet. Yeah, yeah. But let's be honest, the, the person who really has the say in this is, is Keir Starmer. Because 
you might say, again, a bit like uh, Emily Thornby we talked about earlier, he took a big risk in throwing all his lot in with Jeremy Corbyn's shadow cabinet. You know, he joined the shadow cabinet. He's been ultra loyal in the election campaign, as we saw. He turned up to various events. I mean, Kate, you were at one, weren't you, where he, where he was with a lot of left-wing trade union leaders who you previously wouldn't have imagined he'd be at a, a platform with. Yeah, it was really interesting. And also on that, um, people of the left seem to be a bit more sort of outspoken about it as well now because I think it was Labour List had a blog from Manuel Cortez this week yeah. um, saying that, you know, we should have we should have voted Remain and being kind of quite, well, very, very pro-Europe. Um, He's basically saying we shouldn't be messing around yeah. campaigning to stay in the single market. We should be campaigning to stay in the EU. Let's, yeah. let's not hide it behind these other things. Yeah, so I guess there is more. there seems to be more of a consensus and whether Chucker is leading that charge, I'm not sure. But I think maybe people, people, you know, in Labour circles are just kind of realising that they're going to have to kind of come down one side or the other. And, and it shows also tactics. I mean, don't forget, as much as Chucker, it, his message appeals to a lot of Labour members, the tactics they didn't like, the, the defying the, the, the party whip the other week on the Queen's speech, the fact that he didn't discuss it with Keir Starmer beforehand, you know, there was a bit of ba bad blood caused by all of that. And it's really, that really does last, you know, that bad blood stays in the water for a long time. One thing about, I think, interesting, the fact that it's Chucker making a lot of noise about it, is we go out to the election, our election focus groups, he was someone that a lot of voters recognised and knew about. So in terms of getting that message out, maybe it is good that it's him because he's someone that voters know. He's a good media performer, isn't he? Yeah. He's a good, he's a good guy uh, in, th in that respect. Mm. Yeah, a lot he's, of our focus groups absolutely loved him. But the question is, I mean, the thing is, he's not considered loyal enough to be in the Shadow Cabinet. It's funny because he, he says in the interview, uh, I'm learning lessons from Jeremy Corbyn. Jeremy Corbyn all his life has, has campaigned on his principles. This is my principles. So I'm going to campaign on it and I'll defy the whip on it. And you can't really argue with that if you're a minister, can you? You can't, but if you want to be party leader, then um, it's a... Do you think he wants to be party quite, leader? Yeah, well, I, I think he might possibly might want to be party that. leader. How, how cynical of you. Maybe uh, in 2030. Speaking of party leaders, this week marked a year since Theresa May became the Tory leader. It's just getting seamlessly, isn't it? Since <laughs> Theresa May became, uh, <laughs> became Prime Minister. Uh, <laughs> she gave an interview uh, on Thursday to Emma Barnett off of the BBC. Um, and here's a little bit of her talking about her shedding a tear. Did you have a cry? How did you feel? Well, I felt, um, I suppose, devastated, really, because I, as I say, I knew the campaign wasn't going perfectly, but still the messages I was getting um, from people I was speaking to, but also the comments we were getting back from a lot of people that, that were being passed on to me, were that we were going to get a better result than we did. Devastated enough to shed a tear? Um, to, uh, yes, a little tear. Yes. At yes. that moment, that at moment. That, at that moment, yes. So Theresa May um, <coughs> flicking on her emotion chip there, apparently, during uh, after the she was told by her husband about the uh, exit poll. She was at the 1922 again this week, the meeting Tory backbenchers. It's the second time in five weeks. I was told that apparently that's normal. They normally go to the last one at the end of a session, so we shouldn't be reading too much into this. But the backbenchers coming out were saying to me, yeah, we're seeing a lot more of her. And the fact that she's got such a small majority, she's going to be in the voting lobbies a lot more. She can't do what Blair did and just not bother turning up. How do we think, going into the summer, what's Theresa May's position in the, you know, is, is the sort of, is the guillotine still hanging over her head, Ned? Well, actually, I was going to ask you that, given you were outside the 22 committee. I thought I was going to ask you what, what was the mood of the MPs as they came out. I mean, were they, are they more on board or is it still the same kind of mood as it I was after kind of, the vote? I think it's kind of the same. I think that she said in the meeting, you know, I want to push on with, with my agenda that I said on the steps of Downing Street a year ago. 
But having just junked most of that out of the Queen's yeah. speech, talk about education reform, but there's no sign of grammar schools. I think people thought, well, that's a nice thing to say, but I kind of really don't. You know, I'm sure you have got plans not for things other than Brexit, but you can't mm. get them through. So I don't think it really changed anything too much. I think we're now just seeing the consequences and the action of what it's like to be leading a minority government, which is you've got to go before your MPs a lot more. You've got to be a bit more humble. She tried this relaunch the other day, didn't she, Paul, which you were at, which didn't really do the job because it was kind of more of the same, wasn't it? It was pretty awful. I've got to say, a bit excruciating sitting there um, watching her look genuinely diminished as a, as a, a prime ministerial figure. Not only was she late, but she sort of stumbled on her words and she just seemed slightly distracted. She didn't answer the, the questions that were put to her. Now, admittedly, the, the tailored view on the gig economy, it was a, a whole lot of blancmange, and, but she just put a lot of custard on top of the blancmange. It was like there was no, <laughs> no attempt at that morning at any kind of clarity. And it just felt weird. A normal prime minister would have walked in there, even Theresa May two months ago, would have walked in there and tried to assert herself. Cameron certainly would, but she didn't assert herself at all. And I thought it was quite strange. Obviously, earlier in the week and at the at the twenty two committee, and when she did uh, a media reception for journalists, um, she was very relaxed. Were you at that? I wasn't at that. I was at that because I couldn't see you. Obviously, because you weren't there. No, because <laughs> I was in in Streatham actually in Chukaramuna's constituency, what watching a rising jazz star. Oh, this but your that, son? But that's that's <laughs> another issue. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> But the more important point is that I think, yeah, she's heading into the summer, uh, no question, with a diminished authority. And that that point that you just, that interview you just raised there with Emma Barnett, the thing that I thought was really quite slightly touching was the fact that she says she has this superstition that her husband always is the one that looks at the exit poll. She never listens yeah. to the exit poll. She she goes out of the room and waits for him to tell it. And all, it's the same thing when it comes to newspaper reports. He's the one, she said, that reads out. If she can't bear to read something, he'll read it out to her. And you think, wow, that's a lot of newspapers. Yeah. He's going to be reading yeah. out right now. Yeah. Just imagine the stuff he's reading out right now. To, he needs to change the superstition it because work. it didn't work at all. Yeah, <laughs> it's rubbish. Definitely <laughs> watch the next one, Prime Minister. Wear some white socks or something, well, you know. Because I, um, I, I was at the, the drinks at Downing Street. I managed to get the flag way in there. And um, I did sort of say to her, you're not going on any long walks, are you, this summer? And how many but you can't say what she said back because, unfortunately, there's a convention where you can't reveal what she said. <laughs> okay, well, someone then told me that she... <laughs> that's, that's the end of that, then. That she, she said... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not saying what she said. You can't. Not even, like, the really filthy joke she told. No. What <laughs> about the magic trick? No, that you can't. I either. can't do anything no, about that. no. Uh, not listen, the, no, you're, you're going to be right in a not, not even the tattoo. We're removing the magic here, aren't oh. we? <laughs> All right, well, suffice to say, she wasn't happy <laughs> with what I said. And she said, well, if you've got any plans, maybe I will ruin them. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we're, 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 we're going to stay, we're going to stay sort of acquaintances, not be yeah. friends. Yeah. yeah. No, she's not, she's, let's be honest, you know, uh, let's see, there's still a lot of talk about getting through conference and then the real business starting. Don't forget, I remember 2005, IDS got through conference and then he was knifed. So um, what happened, um, sorry, 2004. Um, so what happens is the, the MPs are all desperate to sort of get over the line of recess, weigh things up over summer, see how the polls are going, see how Brexit is going possibly, see what happens in the September recess. If it looks like there's still some sort of stasis and they she's causing long-term damage, they'll go to conference 
and I suspect we're going to have a really interesting conference. We're going to see a beauty parade. Whenever Boris owns his mouth, it's always a story. But whenever DD owns his mouth, it's going to be a story. Everyone at conference is going to be. I was also just if we've got time. Interestingly, um, about the relaunch because when she was speaking, I was watching that on TV. It looked it was really boring to watch at the same time was when Boris was in the Commons making those two gaffes as it were so you mentioned Boris being on a beauty parade he was literally doing it as May was talking and completely overshadowed her um, finally you talk about things affecting the party very very quickly Amory Morris story that we broke this week her comments that she made we you well, thank you very much um, she had the whip withdrawn I mean, is she going to be sacked permanently from the party? What's What do you think is going to happen? No, I don't think she is. Go on, why um, not? Nas Shah wasn't yeah. for Labour. Um, I think she'll grovel and recess is coming at quite a good time, isn't it? Yeah, you're right. And yeah. I think it will just kind of She'll be sin-binned, but the yeah. problem is, at what point do you bring her back? Yeah. Mm. And I think it's going to be very, very difficult for, to bring her back. I, I agree with you on the Nas Shah thing. I completely agree there's a precedent there. I think the two things that make it slightly different and also I disagree, is that with Naz Shah, she could kind of go to synagogue, she could go to the Jewish community and sort of learn about things. How do you do that with the words that she used, right? With yeah. Well, you could, there's, there's nothing you can, there's nothing she can do to mitigate it, is it? She's yeah. just got to weather it. And that's why I think recess uh, is coming. Also, if, with the Tories as well, they're slightly poisoned by the DUP deal, this kind of clash that, you know, conservatism kind of brand. Do you think that will have an impact? They'll, 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 they'll want to be seen to be coming down really hard on this because they've already been seen to be getting into sort of bed with homophobes, if that makes sense. <laughs> well, I think um, they've already said the Tory line at the minute is, you know, we acted really swiftly. She did. She took the most robust action she could possibly take. I mean, they can't, they can't kick her out of the party, can they? Theresa May can't kick her out of the party. But there's a, there is a really interesting contrast. If you remember before the election, the Isle of Wight MP, who was told to the students mm. that being gay was dangerous which obviously is an outrageous thing to say, and he was forced out, rightly so, I'd say. But uh, Amory Morris, for saying a probably similarly offensive racist term, has been suspended and perhaps might be brought back. I think that shows perhaps the weakness of the Prime Minister, but the difference in positions we're in with the party. I think it's been very difficult for her to bring it back at all, personally, because of just that word. I just think now that, personally, I think that the story will blow up. The, the, the moment she's brought back in, every, everyone will say to Theresa May, well... God, you know, so what about your race audit? What about the, the, the role of public services for ethnic minorities? Aren't you undermining all of this? And she, she'll just have it round her neck. So I suspect, a bit like some MPs, don't forget, who are in this limbo state. When Simon Danchuk. Simon Danchuk. It will just, like Danchuk, it will just be allowed to go on and on. I mean, there was... Um, um, Bob, whatever he was called, the guy who went to UKIP. Bob Spink. Bob Spink, you know. I mean, he was an independent for a while. There's been there's this tradition, unfortunately, of people who say the wrong thing or want to leave. The Lib Dem guy as well. Yeah, uh, Michael uh, Hancock. Yep, yeah, Mike Hancock. I mean, there's various people, and I think we'll, it'll just be in a state of limbo for a while. Yeah, it's probably yeah. right. Excellent. Well, thanks so much for that, guys. Really busy show. Hope you enjoyed it, as always. And we will be back uh, next week. Cheers. Bye.